Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's five o'clock on Friday afternoon. My name's Jacob, here with you on community radio station 3CR, and this is a Friday Rave. Well, here we are, Friday Rave, and this time it is Friday, and I'm here live in the studios of community radio station 3CR in beautiful downtown Smith Street. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I did a bit of a profile of one of our newest senators, Jim Molan, and spoke a bit about his views on confronting China from a position of strength and all that palaver, and ended up by promising a bit more of a yarn on new military appointments and taking place, particularly in regards to the escalating rhetoric against China. But unfortunately, I had to leave town and um, had to go to New South Wales on short notice and did a bit of a pre-record with Eli early on Thursday morning, but we'll give it a go this week, or at least make a start on it, with a bit of a bio on the ambassador, the new ambassador of the um, United States of America. You're tuned to 3CR 855 on your m If you just tuned in to 3CR, why would you stay listening and listening a while? Yeah, well, wouldn't it be nice if Tom Waits was the ambassador to Australia from the United States, eh? But unfortunately... Um, you know, 3CR listeners um, would have heard by now and maybe even cried, pulled your hair out, banged your head against the wall in utter despair and frustration by now of the appointment of the new US ambassador to Australia, one Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr. Or maybe you've done none of those things, unaware of just who this prick is. Maybe you've only begun to be a little sus now that you've heard that his middle name is Binkley and he has the appellation Junior. That brings so many images and connotations with it, doesn't it? You know, sounds like a good old boy name from so many bad American films. You know, um, Yvette just commented as we were having a bit of a handover from her from her and James's great show um, just before me um, in your face about how it sounded like such a white name, and it does. You know, it sounds like, you know, pick me up a bit of bottle of moonsign, will you, Binkley J, while you're down the laundry and Matt getting the sheets ready for the cross burning on the weekend. Yeah, uh, starting to sound like a bit of a anti-American racism there, so I won't go there. And it's not where I want to go at all, because in fact, Harry Binkley Harris Jr. is the first Japanese-American admiral ever. His father, Chief Petty Officer Lieutenant Harry Binkley Harris Sr., married a local woman while he was stationed in um, Okinawa, and um, Harry was brought up as a base brat. But while Binkley shouldn't get you riled up, it's the admiral bit that should. Since when the fuck did military commanders start getting posts as ambassadors? Well, maybe back in the days of the Roman Empire, but even then there was, from my memory of history, friction between the military hoons, like, for example, who insulted the Sinonis Celts in northern Italy and the ambassadors who were trying to get them to not sack Rome. 
keep keep a lid on things. I digress. But the important point is, is that ambassadors have often been used and seem to be used as a velvet glove of power. I guess at least with the Trumpster, he doesn't give a shit about pretense. But this is not just any old military man. Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr. is, in anyone's language, a warmonger, a hawk, particularly in regards to China. But before we get into his current stance and conjecture a bit about why he was sent over here to oversee the Australian satrapy, let's have a brief look at his personal history, because it ain't pretty, my friends. The the first thing I can find about him is um, he graduated in the US Naval Academy in 78. Um, He participated in the US operation to apprehend the plane carrying the Palestinian hijackers of the Achille Lauro in 85. He was, after all, a top gun pilot by all accounts, and I've got no problem with that. I guess that's what the military are meant to do. But then in 1986, he saw him work as a tactical action officer in the aircraft carrier of the USS Saratoga, and he was a pilot on that when it invaded Libya, launching some, you know launching 300 bombs and 48 missiles on five targets within the city of Tripoli, including Colonel Gaddafi's house, killing 60 Libyans, and amongst them, Gaddafi's adopted infant daughter, Hannah. Now, was Harry Binkley Jr., Harry Binkley Harris Jr., flying one of those planes? I don't know, but probably. He stayed in the Middle East taking part in the tanker wars of the late 80s, Now, that was when they were protecting the Kuwaiti tankers from attack to ensure the uninterrupted flow of crude to the US. And it was this cheap flow of crude oil out of Kuwait, undercutting OPEC agreements, that eventually led to the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, with US approval, of course. Once Iraq attacked Kuwait in 1990, Harry was, of course, there, on a carrier taking part in operations Desert Storm and Desert Shield and he stayed on after the initial hostilities to play a big role in orchestrating Operation Southern Watch. Now, Operation Southern Watch was the name given to the blockade of Iraq from 1993, which included the almost constant bombing of Iraq with all kinds of munitions, including depleted uranium. The blockade and sanctions on Iraq, according to a 1999 UNICEF report, resulted in about half a million child deaths, which Clinton's Secretary of State, by the way, Madeleine Albright, famously referred to as worth it, before going on to orchestrate Clinton's war in Somalia to divert attention from his sex scandal with Lewinsky. But anyway, I digress again. Anyhow, Harry Binkley Harris Jr. stayed on in the Middle East, and in 2003 he took on the role of Assistant Chief of Staff for Operations where his primary task was the planning and execution of the Navy's part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. You know, G-Dub's attack on Iraq 9-11, <coughs> after 9-11. But, you know, by now, the 47-year-old sailor was well and truly moving up the hierarchy and was highly regarded as a naval air pilot and leader and was flipping about from Japan to the Middle East and doing whatever needed to be done. Eventually, he took on the responsibility of Navy Current Operations, the Navy Command Centre, and the Anti-Terrorism Force Protection Poli- Force Projection Policy. Sorry. By the time of his 50th birthday, though, still a young fellow, only turning 50, he found himself commander of the Joint Task Force Guantanamo. That is, in effect, boss of Camp Gitmo. You know, the US naval camp on Cuba, where David Hicks and Mumdu Habib were tortured, where three men held illegally were murdered? 
Well, let's be fair. They died whilst they were being tortured, according to later investigations. So let's call it tortured to death rather than murder. Manslaughter at best, I'd say. You see, I do try to be fair. But Admiral Harris, however, saw them as suicide. Well, not even really suicide. I've got to quote him here because I can't even find the words to paraphrase. Quote, They are smart. They are creative. They are committed. They have no regard for life, neither ours nor their own. I believe this was an act of desp- this was not an act of desperation, but an act of asymmetrical warfare waged against us. Now, can you believe this bastard who planned and executed airstrikes and blockades, killing thousands, this absolute disgrace of a human being who is responsible for as many deaths, as much misery as just about any human being alive today, this arsehole reckons that three illegal prisoners under his care killed themselves as an act of asymmetrical warfare against the United States. Now... No wonder that in every picture I've seen of this bloke is smiling, grinning from ear to ear. He has a sense of macabre humour that, you know, that would leave Monty Python for dead. You could not make this shit up. And we've still got about a dozen years to go on Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr.'s career path to becoming a um, satrap of Australia. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. So where are we? Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr.'s commanding Guantanamo prison and accusing the people tortured to death on his watch of attacking the United States by killing themselves. God, it must be tough being in the US, even when you invade a country and rendition civilians to a secret torture chamber, they still manage to kill themselves to make you look bad. That's the breaks, I guess. Anyhow, <clears throat> by now it was probably clear to everybody that he was a man who had what it takes. So the powers that be, and we're talking the Obama administration by now, decided he'd better serve US interests by assuming command of the Sixth Fleet and the strike and support forces of NATO. He was deputy commander concurrently of US naval forces both in Europe and Africa. Now, that was fortuitous because once established in the role of taking on you know, Africa, he was assigned the role of Joint Force Maritime Component Commander that is, boss of all the navies involved in Operation Odyssey Dawn. Now, if Odyssey Dawn doesn't ring a bell, think of Hillary Clinton smugly proclaiming that we came, we saw he died, as Muammar Gaddafi was sodomised by a bayonet as he was led away to be murdered on camera. Yeah, that's right, the same Hillary Clinton that many people, even some of you listening to this show, wish had become president rather than Trump. Anyway, about as each other in my book. Anyway, yeah, our new satrap... Admiral Ambassador Harry Binkley Harris Jr. organised all that for her. 
as well as destroying Libya, which in turn led to the Islamo-fascist attacks on Mali and the establishment of the North African slave trade, Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr. acted as Deputy Chief of Naval Operations. Amongst other projects, he oversaw the establishment of the MUOS, the Multi-User Objective System. That's the new Lockheed Martin-designed and built communication system used by the US military and based on four ground stations, one in Hawaii, one in Virginia, one in Sicily of all places, and of course one right here in good old Australia at Codgerina, just... um, I know, what is it, 10, 15k um, east of Geraldton in WA. It's been an echelon base there for a while, but over the last few years they've been building, they've built a whole other extension to it with a whole lot of new domes. And that's this MUOS system that um, um, Harris put together. Anyway, he's been doing a lot of work with defence contractors, particularly Lockheed Martin, over recent years, which may explain his close friendship with former ALP leader and now Lockheed hack Kim Beasley. Now, the environmental effects of the MUOS system operated from Geraldton should be enough to have it shut down, like actors have been trying to do in Sicily since its construction commenced, but that's a whole other story. You know, the effect it has on um, the magnetic radiation has on the environment is is ridiculous. But anyway, back to um, Harry Binkley Harris, Jr., After a brief posting as the assistant to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the US, he was made the commander of the 7th Fleet and then commander of the whole US Pacific Command, that is, the unified US Defence Command of the entire Pacific region, half the planet, from the west coast of the Americas to the west coast of India, from the south to the North Pole. Now, there is an argument to be made that his appointment as ambassador to Australia is an extension of this posting and nothing more. So, you know, we have the players in place. Firstly, I haven't spoke about him much yet, another, another time, but the new US Secretary of State, uh, Secretary of Defence, sorry, Jim Mad Dog Mattis, who earned his sobriquet by leading a racist and hate-fueled rampage through the streets of Fallujah. You know, Jim Mullen, our newest senator, who was in charge of the whole ground force at Fallujah, who once joked that the Beatles should have said, give war a chance. You know, who, you know. And then finally we got Admiral Harry Binkley Harris Jr., who was organising a naval backup and air support to that very attack. You know, when Fallujah happened, the three of them were on the ground. Jim Mathis, what's his name? Jim Molan and um, Harry Harris Jr. You know, I'd like to call them the... Um, the three amigos. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Marxism 18 is Australia's biggest radical left-wing conference, happening March 29th to April 1st in Melbourne. The conference will feature founding editor of Jacobin magazine, Bhaskar Sunkara, Australian writer Helen Razor, Palestinian activist Huwaida Araf, and films celebrating 50 years since the struggles of 1968. Join radicals and activists for political discussion in over 100 sessions across four days. Tickets start at $25 and are available at 
marxismconference.org. Red Flag Press is a 3CR supporter. God, I've been playing the Marxism promotion, so, geez, all my anarchist friends are going to be a bit upset the way I've been... I've turned someone into a little Marxist in my crazy old dotage. But no, not really. Still an anarchist, but I do like informed opinion and discussion. And therefore, if I had a choice, I'd be at Marxism Conference in um, April rather than Camp Anarchy um, this week. But anyway, anyway, where was I up to? The Three Amigos. You know, the Three Amigos have something more in common than just their complicity in one of the most horrendous acts of war on Iraq. And it's their unequivalent call for military engagement with China. Now, listeners may recall back in December, if any of you bothered to listen to me twice, I spoke about Australia's new foreign policy white paper, which all but called China the enemy. This, of course, is not just Australia's line, but echoes the new aggression towards China coming from the US. Unless you think this is new and coming from the Trump administration, cast your mind back to Obama's visit to Canberra in 2011, November I think it was, and he said, and I quote, I've got the quote, the United States will play a larger and long-term role in shaping this region and its future. I've directed my national security team to make our presence and mission in the Asia-Pacific the top priority. So it's been going on for a little while and it's bipartisan, to say the least, just like it is with our own um, two-party system. Now China is the world's fastest-growing economy and I reckon probably the most successful capitalist economy, apart, of course, from the US in the post-World War II period. And like the US, China has a global outlook. It's one belt, one road program, for example, seeking to create a continuous trade route around the planet, is a pretty good example of this. Recently, China has bought the ports of Piraeus in Greece and Djibouti at the entrance to the Red Sea and by the Horn of Africa, And it's been investing heavily for decades now, but the last seven to ten years particularly, in infrastructure in the third world, from the west coast of Africa to Polynesia. Now, with very few exceptions, however, China's expansion has been an expansion of capital, of finance, rather than military might. It might amount to the same thing as Woody Guthrie, you know, once said, some people will rob you with a gun and some people will rob you with a fountain pen. I'm not standing up for China here. But it seems that China may have learnt from the US adventurism in the Middle East and Central Asia that it's more economical to buy resources and to buy influence than to invade. You could say they're very good at capitalism. The US, on the other hand, seems to have left the idea of the free market behind and for some time has been pursuing the dream, or the nightmare, I should say, of empire. The US knows it can no longer prosper in a world of free market capitalism. It depends on war and not winning wars. You've got to to remember that. They don't want to win the war. Winning a war outright would be counterproductive to the US at this time. What they need is to keep fighting at a level that keeps them engaged and just ahead enough of the game to extract resources so that they can continue to finance the only industry they're any good at, militarism. That is what they are doing in the Middle East. They're keeping just ahead of the game to extract the resources so that they can finance their military, so that they can expand their military adventurisms to where are they going now? Quite likely China. You know, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, well known by now to have been given the green light by US Ambassador April Glaspie, 
A delayed attacks on the World Trade Centre. Now, whether you abide by the official story or one of the alternative narratives, I don't really care because I don't see how any of the narratives, including the official one, are any more of a conspiracy than any of the others. Anyhow, be that as it may, these two events ushered in a new paradigm of total, unending war. And if you try to tell me that the US and its allies couldn't have won the war in Afghanistan or Iraq, the Middle East, by now if they wanted to, you're still buying the official narrative. What they need, what they want, what they depend on, what they are, is ongoing war. You know, six months before the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, just a bit of a digression, I was sitting on a Sydney ferry, tripping on the daily newspapers, it used to be quite a pleasant way to spend a summer RV in those pre-World Wide Web days, snuggle down with a joint in the daily papers in the bow in between the peak hour services, you know, the halcyon days indeed. But I came across a quote by US Secretary of Defence at the time, William Cohen, who said, and the quote is burned into my mind, he said, the Warsaw Pact is no longer a target-rich environment. We need to look into other areas. Now this was the summer of 8990. We need to look into other areas. Man, it scared the absolute bejesus out of me. And I knew right there and then we were heading for war. And you only had to look at the rhetoric to know it was going to be war on a um, Muslim community or somewhere in the Middle East. You know, I haven't had the heart to spend an arvo in a joint on Sydney Ferry since. But, you know, straight after that, I got travelling around talking to Middle Eastern activist groups about the coming war. Well, actually in Bahrain when the Iraqi tanks rolled over the Kuwaiti border. But since that time, war has been constant. It's not let up for a moment. And Australia has, by and large, avoided the war. Sure, we sent troops and frigates, we host the bases that enable the whole US war machine. I mean, I'd never shut up about that. And we produce fuckwits like Jim Molan to run point on logistics for him. But the impact on the average Australian so far has been minimal. And that's about to change, my friends, because what we got here at the moment is the three amigos. And we'll come to those in a second. I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855, I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. Okay. And Helen will be at the Marxism conference as well, as you heard earlier. Now, back to the three amigos. The top of the food chain, Mad Dog Mattis. Now, last month he released a new US defence policy paper focused on the possibility of war with China and, to a lesser extent, Russia. Now, Trump's latest salvo, calling a trade war, regardless of the rhetoric, isn't actually aimed at us and our steel. It's aimed at China. And China's Foreign Minister, Wang Yi, has already said that, quote, especially given today's globalisation, choosing a trade war is a mistaken prescription. The outcome will only be harmful, the foreign minister said. China would have to make a justified and necessary response. They're not going to take this shit lying down. You know, in fact, you know, the trade war has already started. We've got a recycling problem at the moment because China is refusing to take our shit, quite frankly. 
it, you know, saying deal with it yourself. All this is, you know, it's together. We can no longer treat China the way we've been treating China. And um, China's saying that. It's flexing its, you know, its muscle about the place, its financial muscle, saying that um, we're not just a kicking boy anymore and um, the Americans, like the three amigos, are, um, are starting to arc up about it. But on the African front, um, I said they just bought the port of Djibouti. Um, the U.S. Congress has today, today, yesterday, discussed possible actions in response to China's acquisition of the port of Djibouti. General U.S. General Walderhausen, who runs the African Command, um, has been warning of what he called dire consequences. Over in Central Asia, the U.S. over the last few months has been doubling the size of its bases and deployments along the old Silk Road route, which is being redeveloped by China's um, One Belt, One Road um, project. Here in Australia, we have Admiral Ambassador Harry Binkley Harris Jr. commence his occupation of the role and his occupation of the country by talking up the possibility of a war with China, who he calls a disruptive transitional force in the Pacific. In yeah, in the Indo-Pacific, sorry. Now, on assuming his chair as ambassador, this warrior disguised as diplomat went straight to the point. Quote Australia is one of the keys to a rules-based international order. I look to my Australian counterparts for their assistance. I admire their leadership in the battlefield and in the corridors of power in the world. They are a key ally of the United States and they've been with us in every major conflict since World War I. Well, I dare say, Admiral Harry, that it wasn't so much that we were with you in World War One. we were with our pommy overlords in those days and you didn't come into it till it was just about over. Just like in World War Two, where you didn't come into it until Pearl Harbour was um, hit, which is probably as it should have been. So, But don't start this rhetoric of Australia being, uh, you know, following the US. We've followed you into Korea, we've followed you into Vietnam, we've followed you into Afghanistan and Iraq, but come on, mate, taking it back to World War One's a bit rich even for a historical revisionist like you. Admiral Harris has also noted the imminent increase in rotation of 1,500 US Marines through Darwin, the refuelling cooperation at the two Northern Territory Air Force bases, our Navy-to-Navy exercises and military relationship. He's been advocating, you know, he's, he's been saying that that is what the Australian-American alliance is about. Now, mind you, this guy is an ambassador, it's very, very unusual in peacetime for an ambassador to take on a role and the first things he talk about is war. But then I started off this yarn by saying how un- pointing out how unusual it was to have a warrior in peacetime sent as an ambassador. But then this isn't peacetime. It's not peacetime. Um, you know... He's been advocating a U.S. military operation in the South China Sea for ages, for years, to protect trade routes. And he's already stated that he sees his role as ambassador to encourage Australia to play a greater role in maintaining the rule of law in the region. He even made a joke and said the only thing we don't agree on is how to, how to spell the word defence, you know. I mean, his whole mindset is a military mindset. And by the rule of law he refers to, He means U.S. hegemony. He doesn't mean law. You know, he's dubbed the Chinese building of islands in South China Sea, the Great Wall of Sand, and he reckons China's intent is crystal clear, he said. We ignore it at our peril. 
I'm concerned China will now work to undermine the international rules-based order. I've got a book here of quotes of this prick. Anyway, meanwhile, Trump's recent former advisor, there have been a few of them through the revolving door of Trump's advisory office, bloke named Sebastian Gorka told Australian media that Harris's appointment was in a direct response to China's growing influence in the Pacific. Quote, The hard line with regards to China is being maintained by the president. Harris's appointment sends a very clear message that our relationship with Australia remains very close and we're not going to allow China to intimidate our partners, our friends, our allies or anyone in the Pacific region. Gorka said he said it's good news for Australia and it's good news for the West. Now, Australia doesn't need Harris, though, to strengthen its line against China. The aforementioned foreign policy white paper left no doubt about who we see ourselves aligned with. And the recent bullshit with racist overtones about Dastiari and Abbott accepting money from Chinese interests, look, it's reminiscent of the Kemlani affair of the 70s, for those of us old enough to remember. And so I'm running out of time, but the pieces are in play. Australia has formed an alliance with Japan, India and the US to keep an eye on China and the South China Sea. We've welcomed our new governor from the US. We've seen the writing on the wall in regard to the role of war in the next dozen years and hitched our economy on the bandwagon of arms exports, with both major parties and the union movement vying to prove who supports the military industry the strongest. We've overturned our foreign policy of years to accommodate new anti-China aggression. We're loaning the US billions of our super so they can, you know, build their infrastructure and save their dwindling cash reserves to further finance the military for the new escalation. And now, well, we sit back and wank, because frankly, I don't think the peace movement or the left has the wherewithal at the moment to achieve much. So plant some veggies, polish up your Tupperware undies, because it's going to be a bumpy few years, my friend. And over the next couple of weeks, while you're there, go and support, if you're in the area, Alex Batal in them. Um, and the campaign in Batman to support, if nothing else, the Greens am stating that they're going to change their defence policy spokesperson to a peace policy spokesperson. That's all from me. See you next week, if we're all still here.